Right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous privilege, this honor of gathering together as family in a unity that you've provided by faith, Father, a faith, faith that you've also provided. Thank you for ordaining days like this from eternity past for each one of us to enjoy as well as as a congregation. Father, we're so blessed and thankful for your grace, your mercy, and your love. May we never become familiar with these things, but embrace them for what they are, gifts from above. Father, we pray for those still ill in the congregation that earnestly desire to be here but cannot be, and we pray for your deliverance in their lives so that we might fellowship with them in person once again. Your will be done, of course. Father, we pray also for those that are still lost in this world, those without Christ, those without hope, therefore. We just pray that we are able to reach them with the gospel message and that we have additional brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt against us and to make a morning, a lovely morning like this, even a reality. We just pray for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, there's just something about his name. Um, wonderful series so far. Not sure how far the Spirit will take it or how long it's going to go. But I want to begin with a psalm of David. Go to Psalm 9, verse 1. Psalm 9, verse 1. Wonderful way to start this morning's message off after sort of a week off uh, during our 4th of July celebration. Psalm 9 verse 1, and it's a perfect lead-in to this morning's message. Psalm of David, Psalm 9. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established His throne for judgment. And He will judge the world in righteousness. He will ex execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know Your name, those who know Your name will put their trust in You. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds. For he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift up, excuse me, lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. So many key phrases that we've been studying over the past few weeks. Your salvation. His salvation. The nations, verse 15, the nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made Himself known. He has executed judgment. In the work of his own hands, the wicked is snared. Salah. The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. 
for the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Salah. A wonderful way to continue uh, with this series on there's just something about his name. And I do hope that you all had a wonderfully relaxing 4th of July holiday celebration. And I hope you all enjoyed the blog titled Let Freedom Ring. I'd like to take a quote from that blog up here on the board from George Orwell in his book, 1984. During times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. And I have to think about our own country. And that was what the blog was about. During times of universal deceit, it seems that everyone in America is deceived. And we use the word freedom, or the words freedom and independence um, so readily, obviously at the celebration of the 4th of July. But what is it that we're celebrating? I guess that's what I always question when I think of our celebrations and our holidays and how maybe just maybe they've morphed over time. They started good, but as man is really good at doing, he has perverted them. And so during times of universal deceit, telling the truth, like what's being taught or what's going to be taught here this morning, it becomes a revolutionary act. People are almost stepping back, in a sense, appalled by the truth. And it's the oddest thing. I know I've shared this with you in the past, but normal so-called normal mainstream people have called me a Nazi in public before. I mean, how does that happen in our beloved country, I ask? How does a well-intentioned, imperfect, Bible-teaching pastor like myself receive such low praise in this world? How does that happen? Go to Matthew 5.10. Matthew 5.10. I mean, how does giving a lesson laced with purity, mercy, grace, love, like this one, how does that become an awful thing? especially in a country like ours, that touts freedom. What is freedom after all? Anyways, Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of my name, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As Orwell stated again up here on the board, during times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. Here's another quote from that famous book. It's an interesting read. There's context there uh, when it was written, of course. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. Everything was backwards, but that's what was accepted. Sound familiar? Everything's backwards, but that's the new norm. These are the mantras of a crooked and perverse generation of people in this very insightful book. And the interesting thing, of course, is that the backdrop for uh, Orwell as inspiration was Nazism and Hitler. And yet here we are today, still able to relate to it. 
Why is that? It's simple, as the blog stated up here on the board. A person can be governmentally free, but in complete bondage between their two ears, and vice versa. The freedom that Christ has set us free to enjoy has nothing to do with what country you live in. At least not fundamentally, nor the overt freedoms it maintains. And so I don't know about you, but when I hear the word freedom, I don't think about what, and I love America, don't get me wrong, I don't think about what America can provide for me. I think about what my Lord can provide for me. I think about as America and its people seem to be accelerating away from Jesus Christ, I think about um, the loss of the freedoms that so many people in this country uh, celebrate. And I think of the blessing of not losing any freedom at all in my own soul. So the freedom that Christ has set us free to enjoy has nothing to do with living in any country. Um, it just doesn't. I'd like to share with you a quote from an email response I received to this blog this past week from uh, an individual I think I've quoted um, in the past, Joshua Mokua, who's uh, from down in Africa area. He says, thanks, man of God, for remaining focus, and again, he's from the Africa, down in Africa, I believe. Uh, Thanks, man of God, for remaining focused and a voice of warning in this age. It is not only in the USA that people are uh, misusing their freedom. When I was a boy, things were different. The basic unit of the nation is the family. The family was highly valued, and you would hardly, hardly hear of divorce. There is a goddess called women, empowerment, and women rights. What has it led to? False freedom and family breakups because it contravenes the word of God where women have to respect their husbands and husbands ought to love their wives. He continues, if the family is sick, everything becomes sick. We have been denied the right to spank our children when they mess Is it God's way? Your own child can tell you what they want and what they don't. This was not so when we were young. In conclusion, things will happen as families break up. Not until Jesus comes, because freedom without limits is not freedom at all. Again, I believe he's a pastor. Joshua Mokua. But I wanted to share that with you. As Scott taught on Tuesday, without Christ we have nothing of any real value. And Christ, even His name, is just escaping um, mainstream speak, if you would, even in our beloved country, that touts freedom. But what freedom are we touting? What is Independence Day after all? Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace. I don't need a country, a president, government, to provide me peace. It's real nice that they provide me security, that I can go in my house and not get mugged. It's real nice that I can walk the street and not get shot, especially when I'm trying to give the gospel. These things are wonderful, and I'm ever grateful for taxpayers and those that are out in the field in the military services, protecting that freedom. I'm not denouncing that freedom. But what is true freedom? And what is the fruit of it? Ephesians 2.14, For He Himself is our peace. The He, of course, in that verse is Jesus Christ. Yet, Jesus might as well be a swear word nowadays. Not God, necessarily. Just Jesus. I was thinking about it. So, just remember, the God of the universe became a man 
to save man. And man rejects him, murders him. And then thousands of years later, his name is still being dragged around through the mud. Even in a country that based its morality on Judeo-Christian values, declaring freedom and independence from bondage at a time we just celebrated, extolling values that Jesus Himself personified. I'm just sharing here. My son, uh, Sean, and I went to Vermont for a couple of days this past week. That's why I wasn't here on Thursday. And we had some amazing talks, and I learned a lot about the state of affairs in the ranks of our young people. He's 17. I learned a lot about the state of affairs in the ranks of our young folks. And in many ways, it was an eye-opening experience because I didn't realize the full extent of how the pressure of living up to worldly standards has essentially pressed our younger generations into an oppressive state of bondage. And if you couple that with our society's increasing distaste for Jesus, these kids have nowhere to turn. We're just going to squeeze them. We had a, uh, what was it called, a French press? A French press coffee maker at the cabin. And it, that's all I can think about right now. By the way, those are really good. I'm just saying, digress. But anyways, it was good coffee. It's like that. I feel like these kids are the grains of coffee. And we're just pressing down on them. And there's no out. Because we've also removed the remedy. We've taken Jesus, the only remedy, out of our mainstream thinking. So these kids are being pressed into a state of bondage to, you know, success in the American dream. You know that pitch. And Tammy will confer that the first graders that she teaches is now, are now learning things that I learned in like fifth and sixth grade. These kids are having to interpret literature in the first grade. How about blocks? How about recess? How about letting these kids develop? Nope. Got to compete. Got to win. Got to have success. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Well, that'd be probably okay, I guess, if you gave them a remedy to the pressure. If you gave them a relief valve, something that had some real hope to it, that gave them some real purpose. So we press these kids down, and if you couple that with our society's increasing distaste for Jesus, these kids have nowhere to turn. So for a lack of a better way of saying it, our younger generations have created a multitude of crutches for themselves with a lot of help from their parents and even their schools. Some of you might say, yeah, alcohol, drugs, yeah. I didn't realize the extent that that stuff was in schools now. Everybody's got some kind of vice. Why? These are kids. Why? Why does a 15-year-old kid need a vice? Easy. They have no peace. They have no peace. Yet, what does the Bible tell us? For he himself is our peace. So, here's what I'm trying to convey. While the remedy exists, our country won't prescribe him to these aching younger generations. We just keep pressing them more. 
but we won't prescribe the, the, we won't prescribe the remedy. <laughs> we just press them more and say, try harder. Damn it, try harder, kid. Let's do this thing. Push, push, push. And the kid's about ready to pop. The remedy's always there. But our country won't prescribe him to these aching younger generations. It's like telling a person who's dying of thirst that we have a tall glass of water, but we're never going to give it to them. It's awful. It's awful. Have we forgotten what the Spirit reminded us of on Tuesday? We lose our peace when we forget and don't believe that God is good? That, how about that? God is intrinsically good. Go to Psalm 107, verse 1. Have we forgotten? Is that the real problem? Are we celebrating the 4th of July? And not remembering the freedom of Christ, we believers included? I mean, as far as I know, was, <laughs> I don't even know if people celebrate the freedom that I'm actually speaking aside from. I think for most people, if you look at a liquor store, it's about a big party. Slip and slides and booze and barbecues, and there's nothing wrong with those things. And you don't have to have a little cross on the slip and slide. Remember Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But what are we celebrating? That's a theme over the past probably 10 years. What is it that we're celebrating in our lives? Nothing wrong with celebrating a freedom, a blanket of freedom on the 4th of July. Um, but that's, not the, that's certainly not even close to the end goal. Psalm 107, 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Are we? Are you redeemed? Are you saved? If you're saved, you're redeemed. Well, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, that God is good, and that we should never be dissuaded from mentioning His good name because there's power in it. Up here on the board, have we forgotten James 1.17, 18a? Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. Have we forgotten these things? We believers are blessed beyond all human comprehension. Why is our beloved country in the estate it's in then? Why? Why is America in the state that it's in? And as Joshua Makua said, it's not just America, it's Africa. If you go to, I, I watched a documentary probably a year ago on, on Europe. They're worse shaped than we are. They're more godless than we are. They're, they're so confused, there's no peace. And he's right. Take a look at the family. Probably one of the key indexes in any country, in the stability in any country, is the family. If the family's a mess, the country's a mess. If the family structure is exploded, and this is not, I'm not sowing um, guilt or condemnation. What's done is done. You can't change yesterday. So get out of your own way if you're, you know, divorcee or you've had some, you know, you're a crappy parent. Get over yourself. This isn't about that. This is about just saying what the truth of the matter is. We have today, right? And through all things, we can accomplish whatever through God in everything. So we're not depending on Yesterday, we're not focusing on yesterday. 
What we do know is that we're blessed beyond all human comprehension and that our country is indeed accelerating away from Jesus. What has happened to the peaceful fruit of righteousness that we studied out in nine parts recently? What has happened to the peaceful fruit of righteousness that apparently so many of our predecessors enjoyed? Have we forgotten up here on the board? In the absence of truth, we suffer. Our children suffer. Our country suffers. Have we forgotten this? With the rejection of the embodiment of grace and truth, that is Jesus Christ, we lack peace. We just keep pressing. It seems like, or it may seem, I guess, like an oversimplification to say that removing Jesus from the social dialogue is crippling to our country. It may seem like that. But we have to challenge that thought with what history has revealed to us. We have to challenge that thought with what history has revealed to us. We put all this pressure on these kids and then say, don't bother asking about Jesus. He can't help you. We've killed him once. And we can do it again. He's the only remedy. It's in Him we find peace. He said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives it to you. The world gives Chinese food peace. You know, you're hungry half an hour later. You have peace in the moment. And then half an hour later, you're like, I don't have it anymore. Well, here's another pill, or another joint, or another can of beer. We'll just numb that down a little bit. That's what we're offering our kids. That's the estate of the great American country that we live in. The one with the high hopes. This is the solution we're giving our kids. Don't bother asking about Jesus. He's dead. One of the best sellers on the New York Times is God is dead. Are you kidding? That's a best selling book. It is. I can't even tell you the last time I talked to a, a person under the age of 30 that actually said, other than people I know in this church, I actually believe in Jesus Christ. Most of them say, I don't know what to believe. I think I might be an atheist. I think I'm an agnostic. I'm not sure what I believe. How can that possibly be given the freedoms that we have? We have all this freedom to spread the good news about Jesus Christ, the remedy for peace itself. And what? how are we failing our kids? Why are we celebrating on the 4th of July then? Why celebrate something that doesn't seem to be working very well? Do you know what I'm saying? Don't bother asking about Jesus. He can't help you. That makes me sick just to say it. And again, this is all, I know it's a somber way to greet you back from a, week off, but remember, these are not my doings. This is all just food for thought as we come off a week celebration of what ought to be one of the great holidays for America. I have no problem with celebrating the 4th of July, but let's get our perspective straight. Let's understand what it is that so-called freedom and independence provides. And of course, the Spirit's timing is impeccable, as always, because our series title is There's Just Something About His Name up here on the board. And we've gotten halfway through the list of Holy Scripture here, and we're going to finish that this morning. There is power in God's name, 
Those who deny Him deny His name. So far we've covered each verse listed up until the book of Acts. So I want to quickly review where Scott left off on Tuesday up here on the board. For example, Proverbs 18.10 The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Is that what we're telling our kids? Oh, don't worry about it, sweetheart. Um, Run into the arms of a man. He'll save you. He's not interested in saving you because he's not interested one iota of your virtue. He just wants to get in your pants. I'm sorry. Is that too crass? I'm sorry. You know how ugly the world is? That's not crass at all. That's the truth. Don't run to God. Jesus. Run to another human being. Run to a drug. Run to a bottle. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Isn't that what young kids just want to know? Even though they're punks, you know. With the adolescent angst. Isn't that what kids just really want to know? Am I safe? Am I safe to move about the cabin here? Mom and Dad, are you going to protect me? Oh, I'm sorry. I've got to call California for Mom and Rhode Island for Dad. I'm not picking on anybody. But you know what I'm saying. Mom's confused about religion. Dad's an atheist. What do I do? Who do I run to? Jesus. But we can't say his name anymore because it's a swear, right? Say Jesus at a 4th of July party. People are going to be like, what? It's going to be scratching record. What? Did you just say Jesus? Here we go. Because I'll have to have another one of these to put up with the Jesus freak over here. Next, we were, were passages uh, in the book of Acts, <clears throat> which spends, as we'll see, copious amount of time glorifying the name of our Lord. For example, Acts 3.16, And on the basis of faith, in His name, it is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man. So a miracle just happened. In His name, it is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man, whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Acts 8.12 When they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Acts 22.16 Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. How many kids are calling on the name of Jesus? How many kids are calling on the name of Jesus? How many of us have taught our children to do that? How many of us have been too busy to teach our children? The greatest responsibility we have to our children is to bring them up in the faith. We're so busy in America trying to be successful because we're under the pressure. Meanwhile, the truth is there is power in God's name. All right, I want to finish out our list now. Go to Romans 10.13. Romans 10.13. We're just establishing the point on the board, this magnificent point On the board, we're picking up where we left off last time. Romans 10, 13.
Verse 13, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This runs in complete opposition to the ecumenical garbage that's out there. Just call on God. Because we have all the same God, you see. Could be the Buddhist one, the Islam one, the Christian one, the Jewish one, the Hindu, I don't know. Hindus have a lot of them, so. But just call on God. No. 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 Call on the name of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, to be precise. So says Holy Scripture. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Those are pretty particular words. Go to 1 Corinthians 6.11. 1 Corinthians 6.11. 1 Corinthians 6.11. Such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. It's just something about His name. How about Philippians 2.9? Go there. Philippians 2, verse 9. Verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How about Mark 16, 17? Mark 16, 17. There is power in God's name. And those who deny Him deny His name. And those who deny His name deny His power. Mark 16, 17. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In My name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. In My name. How about John 14, 13? Go there. John 14, 13. This one is of particular uh, value to our study especially as uh, we were um, driven to embark on this study. Whatever you ask, verse 13 of John 14, we'll get to that in a moment. Whatever you ask in my name, why does he not just say, whatever you ask, I will do? Because he's real particular about his name. Yeah. He doesn't want you asking in the name of uh, Buddha. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Go to Luke 10.17. Luke 10.17. And there's only one name in view here. Luke 10, 17. Luke 10, 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. In Your name. Remember, demons are just fallen angels. And even they know the power of His name. You ever, I think about it in a very small way. 
You know what I'm saying? A really small way, but related. Remember like when you were in school or something like that? And you know, it's Principal Gardner. I don't know why John just became a principal. It's Principal Gardner. Oh! Remember you were like little? Hoy! I remember when I was in the military, like a big general. It's General so-and-so. Oh! Right? Like, do you know what I mean? There's, there's power in a name. And uh, that's a very small way to think about it, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to convey. And then finally, we come to the Great Commission itself. Go to Matthew 28, 18. Matthew 28, 18. Even the demons know better. If you think about the encounters that Jesus had with the demons, they knew who he was and they called him by name. You're the Son of God. What do you want to do with us? <laughs> they were scared. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, and that's it. No. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, the point on the board, there's just something about his name. There is power in God's name. Those who deny him deny his name. Now, you may have noticed that I left out the Acts chapter 4 references. That was intentional because I want to now do something that the Holy Spirit rarely asked me to do. And that is read an entire chapter with you. Why? Well, I guess I'm hoping you see why in a moment. This chapter is chock full of what the Spirit's been trying to teach us in this series. But rather than having me point out everything to you, let's just read this magnificent passage together. Hey! Hey! We're not there yet. I mean, that's a good thing, but... Before we do, keep in mind the respect that has shown the name of the Lord. And also keep in mind that the Spirit recorded the book of Acts to be a type of guide for us, even thousands of years later. We can learn an awful lot about the application of the doctrines that Jesus taught in the early church and how we might receive them and practically live them out even today. And I think about that as holistically as living the gospel reality something that simply cannot be done if the name of the Lord is disrespected. So let's read about how the early church thought of the name of our Lord and think also about how powerful social influences expressed extreme distaste for the name of our Lord. 2,000 years ago, same problem. The most powerful people in the land despise the name. Look for that as well. Go to Acts 4, verse 1. Acts 4, verse 1. <clears throat> and draw the, uh, the analogies and the references to our own situation today even. Acts 4, 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, 
By what power or in what name have you done this? You see, even, even the evil folks at that time understood the power of the name of Jesus Christ. But by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Let's say that again. Let's read that again, shall we? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Any questions? Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. Huh. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's the soft pressure that we are all under nowadays. Go to a social gathering, don't talk about Jesus. I'll let you talk about God because you see, I've been doing this Kabbalah thing, or Kabula, or Tallulah, or whatever's you know, in vogue nowadays as a religion. I'll listen to your God speak, but don't talk about Jesus. We have that same soft pressure now. We're not getting in prison for it. Although, like my blog said, we could be at some point, starting with yours truly. People get killed overseas for a lesson like this one. Killed! Bombed! Blown up! That's the value of freedom. That's why we celebrate the 4th of July. Nothing more. But I digress. We're under the same kind of pressure just not as serious, obviously, as was in the early church. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Again, Acts 4 is a tremendous witness to the power of our Lord's name among people. And it's also an indictment on those who have a problem with the name Jesus Christ. Even his naysayers, though, acknowledge this power. Hence their command in Acts 4.18 to, quote, not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Why? Because it threatened their way of life. People do not like, people become, we were having this discussion before class, people are very uncomfortable standing in front of the Word. And if you represent the Word, um, and Christ can be seen in you, anyone ungodly is going to have a problem with you. They're going to find a reason to dislike you, or as Anthony and and, uh, some others were talking about, Sometimes it's very passive-aggressive. They'll just do things to antagonize you. But they won't tell you why. But the truth of the matter is, you're standing up for the name of Jesus Christ, and they don't like it. Because the holy God of the universe is convicting them. And so they don't like it. And so they go like this. Maybe not physically. But certainly figuratively. This is the basis of our series up here in the board again. Oops. There is just something about his name. There's power in God's name. Those who deny him deny his name. Okay, I want to bring this full circle before we close. If you recall the instigating social issue the Spirit chose to use in part one of this series was regarding what we'll call so-called social assistance programs. Social assistance programs, in particular, those programs that use godliness as a element of a program, but they fail to acknowledge the name of the Lord. Rather, propose to borrow His power to deliver people from their woes. And just as a disclaimer, please keep in mind that I'm not picking on any person's desire to help others. I know, look it, we can all do things in a misguided way. We can all try to help somebody and go about it the wrong way. Amen? We've all tried and we failed. So I'm not throwing stones at people that run social programs because a lot of them have good hearts, as far as I can tell. The problem is they're tolerant and accommodating to man's desire to keep Jesus specifically out of the equation because they're afraid that people will be offended. Well, let them be offended. Maybe that's the first step of, you know, being snapped in the forehead. I don't know. I'm just letting you know that I'm not picking on anybody's desire to help others. Who am I to judge? Only that in doing so, if we're going to claim we are doing God's will, God's will, you know, the the God of this book, not the God of this world, we must at least concede the following up here on the board. This is what instigated our series, if you recall. Any program that integrates a nebulous, quote, higher power into its curriculum isn't calling on the power of God. We just learned that in great, great detail. 
There is something about his name. There's power in his name. God is not keen on remaining nameless. That is a ploy that is used by the world. I always think of, you know, hey God, look over there. And you stick your hand, grab in the cookie jar. I don't want you, I just want a couple of cookies so I can offer them to these people as an enticement. Oh yeah, is this a godly-based social program? Oh yeah, we all worship a higher power. Wait a minute. Any program that integrates a nebulous higher power into its curriculum isn't calling on the power of God. Rather, it is keeping him purposely nameless as a mere contributor. These are self-help programs, you know, with a little help from friends. And we looked at all that scripture there. Again, am I picking on any particular attempt to help others out? Not at all. I'd rather see someone try and fail on occasion than not try at all. I mean, I'd rather see someone try and fail than not try at all. So I'm not picking on anybody who's has a you know, good heart and is trying to help someone. This is how we learn and grow. Amen? This is how we learn and grow. All I'm doing is, as the Spirit has asked me to do, am I challenging the desires of others to help those in need? Nope. What's really happening is that certain social practices are being qualified. Certain social practices are being qualified. Something cannot be qualified as bestowing the power of God upon it if it fundamentally refuses to acknowledge God by name or Jesus specifically. Let me say that again. Something, this is what we're talking about. Something cannot be qualified as bestowing the power of God upon it if it fundamentally refuses to acknowledge God by name or Jesus specifically. The Bible never says that there is power in some so-called higher power. That's the lie. As we just noted, there's divine power in His name. Now one last piece of connective tissue that really intimates this truth to us and amplifies why it's so important to take note. And I'll borrow from uh, Mr. Zacharias's quote again. Uh, this is the one really that instigated this series, at least in part. That's how the Spirit often works, from a book titled, Why Jesus? Access to an abstract power gives you no one to be grateful to in times of blessing, and no one to question and receive comfort from in times of sorrow. We all obviously think a lot about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think the great error is in losing sight of Him personally. Maybe we call it becoming familiar or distracted or whatever, but as the Spirit's trying to oppress upon us, even now, the simple truth is He's worthy of every last iota of praise we've got to give. He's worthy of every last iota of praise we've got to give. And to Zacharias's point, it's impossible to praise someone without using their name. Who are we to direct our praise to? Some higher power in the ether? And that's a shame. When, when you're graced out, isn't the first thing you... Well, some of you, maybe not. But the first thing usually is, I want to say thank you. Where did this come from? I want to say thank you. Well, what if the giver is nameless? I mean, if you know nothing about, I mean, if you know their name, I mean, it's pretty impersonal, right? It's impossible to praise someone without using their name. Without a name, a relationship is hardly personal. Case in point, I think I brought this up last Sunday, defense lawyers do not refer to murder victims by name 
but rather some other generic term. They won't. Why? Because they don't want the jury to actually think that the victim is a person. They want to separate that. So they lawyer. You know, just like Satan's lawyering with the name of Jesus. Don't give the Lord and Savior a name. Jeez, that would give him the power. Now it's like Acts 4 all over again. That would give him power. Because now people would say, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. Instead of, I'm hoping a higher power can save me somehow. I'm hoping I'm good enough. What? Without a name, there's no ability to call out someone's name to say thank you. That's what Zacharias is basically saying. What a, what a horrible thing. Because it is quite a blessing to say thank you. To show gratitude. That in of itself is a blessing. And conversely, there's no one to call to in order to have our deepest questions addressed. I, I was thinking about that. I mean, just think about this food for thought before we close. Namelessness means impersonal. How does one even pray to a so-called higher power? Honestly, how impersonal is that? How do you pray to some so-called entity that doesn't have a name? Furthermore, what kind of God would do that to you? What kind of God doesn't want you to have a personal relationship with Him? Isn't the whole idea that you're going to spend eternity with Him? Isn't that the whole idea? So you're going to show up and go, what's your name again? Who are you? Does that sound personal at all? Not at all. That's the problem. Food for thought. Let's read one last passage to drive this home before we close. Go to Revelation 5. Revelation 5.1. I'm just going to close. We're going to read this. I'm just going to close in prayer. Revelation 5, verse 1. <clears throat> I saw in the right hand of Him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, that's Jesus, of course, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests, to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and dominion forever and ever.
And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. There's just something about his name. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this wonderful ability to study your word, to seek truth, for we know that that is where deliverance comes from. We know it's the right thing to do, the righteous thing to do, and as your Spirit has taught us over the past few weeks, Father, there is peace in it. What a wonderful thing to behold. And we just ask for your blessings as we take these things that we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.